0: All right, welcome back to The Hang. My name is Nick Finzer. I'm here with Alan Blanchard. And uh, I have to give a little bit of a warning here. Uh, recording from home today, and uh, I got a dog about a year ago. And right now, he's extremely uh, engaged with a bone. However, uh, yesterday, about 24 hours ago, he recently just discovered that he could look up and rather than just forward. And sideways and now he's checking out everything on the ceiling and now everything on the ceiling is spooking him uh, including all the light pictures so if he starts to bark I apologize but uh, if you want to actually follow him on Instagram you could because he has his own Instagram his Instagram is sir duke the Frenchie. anyway so that's my (laughs) preamble to today's podcast and uh, so hey Alan what's up
1: (laughs) hey man did you ever notice that you um you do that thing that like everyone from Rochester and how they pronounce my name.
0: Oh no, I didn't know. What? Did, how did I say it? Yeah,
1: you you guys all do it like very nasally at first.
0: Well, that's that's the Rochester you accent. The, uh, rather than Allen,
1: best. you do the Allen.
0: And it's uh, like all uh,
1: through your nose. I really sorry, know. I
0: can't get rid of all of it.
1: Nah, I've no, tried. So you know, ex- man, what was the uh? Why did <laughs> you guys decide to do the Instagram for the dog?
0: Why? Yeah. Um Well, Sarah really wanted to take pictures of him. And so we made an Instagram for the dog, uh, you know, and he's pretty cute. So she wanted to be able to share pictures with her family and friends without having to like set up a private album and then having to share the album and then all of that, you know, with like the Apple shared albums thing. Right. So, you know, just found it to be easier just to post on Instagram so my mom can follow it. I'm
1: not going to lie, man. I think your dog gets as much interaction on Instagram as I do on mine.
0: <laughs> well, what can I say?
1: You're not <laughs> as cute as him. No, I mean, hands down. Like, there's no <laughs> there's no competition there. But that was depressing. We were talking about that at uh, at Ravinia. It was me and uh, Rob Boone. And he was... Oh he started taking some pictures and he's like, man, I got to do this to get jazz famous so I can get my 40 likes on Instagram.
0: That's funny. Yeah. Rob Boone, if you guys don't know is a drummer, he's playing with the Count Basie band right now. And so actually let's, let's sidebar for a second. Tell people about what you are up to. What is this Ravinia thing and who can oh. apply to it and how do they do that?
1: Okay. Yeah. So um, let's see, last week I was at the, ravinia steen's uh music institute um in highland park illinois it's like uh i don't know 20 30 minutes outside of chicago maybe an hour depending on the traffic
0: sure sure
1: um and it is a there's like three parts to it over the summer i was specifically or four parts now i guess um i was specifically there for the jazz um week of it and whatnot they also have like this really intense uh program for piano and strings and for singers um not to like denounce ours but like theirs is like five weeks oh wow um yeah and so both of those are audition based uh and supposedly they have like multiple rounds of auditions and that's just like yeah really intense the jazz one is actually only recommendation based which was kind of weird um But it's just, uh, you know, we we go up there for a week and we work with Billy Childs and Rufus Reed. And then um, most recently, they've added on Steve Wilson. uh, And the entire focus of the week is writing um, new music. So you're just workshopping um, each other's uh, original compositions. And there's masterclasses and lectures on, like, the music business a little bit. You know, learning what they learn from from uh, their career so far and learning like new composition techniques and everything. And it's all about trying to create um, new music and, and really how to propel that and and understanding like, you know, what how to make it not feel like you're just throwing darts at a dartboard every time you get a right.
0: Oh yeah. So did you find any um, techniques that you felt were helpful?
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, it was, <laughs> I just haven't been able to put stuff, like, into play yet, really. Um, oh, okay. Because I got back, like, this past weekend. Um, So they were, you know, they were very um, explicit, isn't the right word, but very detailed-oriented, you know, saying, like, you know, it doesn't just have to be an A, A, B, A. Like, why should yeah. your second and your third A's have, like, if it has the same melody, why should it have the same harmony as the first A? whatever and really trying to take like simple ideas and develop them into like thorough arrangements or talking about like transitions and in different sections like why does everyone have to solo over the same stuff like why can't somebody solo and then there's like a transitional period and then someone solo over like the same changes in a different key or a different set of changes or something you know um yep and looking at it like that i mean there were some interesting points that like we talked about um which kind of um started to like bridge the gap with me, I guess with classical like theory that we're required to take in college and what they're talking about. Cause uh mm-hmm. we had like one lecture, lecture and Rufus was like, why don't you guys write a tune? That's, uh, you know, using like a 12 tone row. And I was like, <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> He's like, why don't you just do a 12 tone row and, you know, and do the, uh, the reverse of it and the, or in the, or in the, um, inverse of it and the retrograde of it. And then, you know, see what that right. does to inspire your harmony. And I was like, wow, okay. Um, never would have thought to do that one, but sure, yeah.
0: And see, that's coming from Rufus Reed, one of the most swinging bass players.
1: <laughs> one of the most swinging, yeah, that one.
0: <laughs> um, I'm just saying, I'm saying that because, like, sometimes people think that, like, those, like, compositional things mean that you're not going to write swinging music or that it's not going to be jazz or something.
1: Right. Well, and it was very interesting because we started off, um, so the week before we got up there, they had their, uh, what's called their Bridges Competition, um, which is, I guess this is the second year of them doing it. And it's supposed to be, well, it is, it's not supposed to be. It's this competition that you can enter where you pair uh, a string quartet with a jazz rhythm section. Um, mm-hmm. And you. they've added that you can now have like an additional instrument, but it's not required. And so the whole point is supposed to be bridging the gap, you know, between yeah. classical music and jazz music and, and something like that. Um, So, like, that was kind of the theme. Like, we had that. We got in, like, the last day of that. So we got to see that concert, which was, like, four compositions that were, like, awesome, you know. Mm. And,
0: and that was saw, with Rob, right? Rob was there. Yeah, so they
1: bring back all alumni to play for it. Uh, so Rob Boone had done the Institute a couple years prior, so he was playing drums for it. And uh, Glenn Zaleski was playing piano. Um, and Dan Shmelnisky, right? Thank you, because there is no way I'm going to get his last <laughs> name. I've like slaughtered that like six times telling people about it.
0: That's okay. um. I think he knows. He usually goes by sh- uh, by <laughs> shimmy for that yeah. purpose.
1: So they did it. Um, they did that, and then like we also had John Patitucci who came up and was doing some um. Did a concert with uh, the. Harlem String Quartet, some music he's been working on. And then we also got to check out uh, Billy Childs with his uh, chamber ensemble, which, you know, is by no means a standard ensemble. It has, like, harp, guitar, Uh, what else did he have? Bass, drums, uh, Steve was playing soprano and flute, and then they also Uh. worked with the string quartet for some of it. So, like, you know, very thought out. Compositions, you know, there wasn't like, let's just play some standards, right? Right. Um, so I don't know, man. It was, it was really cool. You know, I know I just had like a lot of stuff to really not take like a direction anywhere.
0: <laughs> well, so how do people like do it? Like, I people are like, man, I heard, I want to find out about that. Where do, man, how do they do that?
1: You know, I, I, I have zero idea. Uh, <laughs> the Bridges competition is like a formal one that like you have to write a piece for, and then submit. Um, and then it's judged by Rufus and uh, Billy. Um, the mm-hmm. Institute is literally just by recommendation. So like I got recommended by Leon um, Anderson, my, one of my professors at FSU. And supposedly, you know, he was just reached out to him and was like, hey, do you have anybody that you recommend for this? And then he recommends, you know, whatever names he saw fit. And then they picked us. <laughs> and we don't know how they picked us, but they picked us. That's cool. And then we showed up. <laughs> and you
0: showed yeah, up? Yeah, we have well, like, it's the
1: go. only one. Yeah. Um, the other ones are like formal auditions, if you're into that. But, you know, I think it's, there's also a case like your faculty members can somehow like get in contact with the institute and recommend you.
0: Right. Um, yeah. I'm kind of looking is, like, at it. And
1: reaching out yeah
0: right oh yeah your name's here
1: yeah yeah my yeah, name's I on injured.
0: the thing yeah that is that's cool i don't think i know any of these other people um no i don't think i do that's cool there's that yeah. a lot of people yeah so they Spread. take
1: 15 fellows every year enough to make three quintets basically
0: yeah that's a lot
1: um yeah yeah uh, you know, there's a good variety, like some of them from uh, New York, some from L.A. Like uh, Walter just finished his master's at uh, uh, William Patterson.
0: Okay. Uh, That's at, like, a good cross-section of people.
1: Yeah. And Saul did like the uh, – he's at Rutgers now doing his master's, but he did like the uh, the Glenn Miller Orchestra for like a year or something.
0: Uh, okay. Well, speaking of that, did you end up uh, sending in an audition tape for that?
1: I did not send in an audition tape.
0: Uh one Miller Orchestra fail.
1: Yeah, I mean You just yeah. didn't want uh well here we go because I definitely told someone I was going to submit the audition, but I don't think that they'll listen to this. So we're gonna clear. Um yeah, I just decided uh, against it because I was um talking to Saul and other people who have done it in the past. And I was hearing, like, how off, like, they're they're on the road a lot.
0: Yeah, it's like a constant um, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and when I saw that, it just wasn't what I wanted to be doing right now because there were too many other things I wanted to be working on.
0: Sure. Um, Makes sense. I mean, I remember that running like into them in really. Australia. Oh, really? Yeah, just like some, maybe Brisbane or something. Just like in the check-in line, it was like all of the Glenn Miller Orchestra. It's like, oh, you guys are on tour? And they're like, yeah, we're on tour for, I don't know, a month in Australia. It's like crazy. I'm like, I don't know how they get so many gigs. I guess it's historical precedence.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. Well, you know, they play the Glenn Miller book, which has like a bunch more music than I'm sure we're aware of. Like actually I know right. it has a ton more music than we're like really aware of. Like they don't just play in the mood on repeat. Um or string of pearls.
0: <laughs> and Tuxedo Junction. And those three <laughs> they play on repeat. And Pennsylvania <laughs> yeah.
1: five that six, what is it? Six, five, six thousand. Five, Yeah, something like yeah. <laughs> um but, you know, they um they work a lot. Supposedly he was saying like they play a bunch of dances and you know, like people come out to that just because like they know what to expect, but I'm curious, like how much longer that's going to last?
0: Yeah. I don't know, man. I wonder if for all those bands, you know, there's the Duke Ellington orchestra still, that's kind of, you know, I don't really know what connection it still has to the original. I don't think, I think the Jazz Link Center Orchestra might have more connection to the original than the Duke Ellington orchestra does now, but. Right. And then Count Basie, obviously. And then, I mean, I guess they'll probably continue on. I don't know if they'll be as busy, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking, like, if what, because even, like, I know with the Basie Orchestra, they, um, like, Scotty is constantly finding uh, new music, whether it was something that was, like, originally was in the book or, like, another Quincy Jones arrangement or something that, like, he's incorporating into it. Um, Yeah. Versus, like, the Glenn Miller which is this, this is no dig to them, but like, it is truly like a a ghost band. It like, that is the music they play. Um, Right. Right. And, and, you know, as the years go on, you're going to find more and more people uh, disconnected or at least not as strongly connected with that as they might be now, you know?
0: Right. Right. Uh, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, anyway. I am congrats on the Ravinia thing. That's super cool. I'm glad you were able to oh, do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um I know we took a took a sidebar there, but um No. You know, the things that you talk about, I'm pretty sure that I may have told you the exact same thing
1: at least state
0: about <laughs> 5 years ago. You about definitely could have. Oh, you just weren't it, ready to hear it yet.
1: No. And I mean, but that's like okay. Well, first off, Let's
0: just I mean, five acknowledge years ago. that five you years ago. just
1: said that, like, you told me the same things Billy Childs did. So let's. I
0: don't know. I was thinking about the stuff that Rufus Reid said about, like, try it, try doing it in a different key or backwards or different things.
1: Yeah, I think 100 um, percent. But, like, that's that's something that I'm running into. Like, I remember um, my freshman year of college and that was like my real ex- first exposure to Jet. Like, I didn't do the whole private lesson thing beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. and like Ryan Vane and Nyan, who were two of my great friends and still are tenor sax players. Um, you know, they're checking out like Chris Potter and Josh Redman and like the fellowship band and stuff. And like, I would listen to it, you know, but then it wasn't until like years later, probably like my third or fourth year of undergrad, I would hit them up and I'd be like, yo, this song by Kenny Garrett, like sing a song, a song, like what the heck? Or like the landmarks, Brian Blade, uh, record, and they'd be like, "Oh, we showed you this shit like three years ago. What are you doing?
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: And it just, you know, it, it hits you, I guess, whenever it hits you, or whenever you're more open to it.
0: Um, yeah, no, that's totally true. Yeah,
1: so it wasn't, like, complete and utter <laughs> neglect of your advice.
0: No, it's okay. I was just giving me a hard time.
1: No, it's cool. I don't care. But, I mean, writing's hard, man. I don't think I've had, like, a, a drive hard. to write until um. Until recently because it was just hard (laughs) and it still is hard, but like now it's, you know, it was kind of like because I was forced to take composition classes, I was like started writing and then I was like, well, okay, this isn't that bad, but it sucks.
0: (laughs) It's a practice, just like practicing a trumpet, man. You got to practice writing. That's what I mean. If I'm like in a writing mode, I have to be writing every day or else it's like not happening
1: yeah but see what's different about writing and about improvisation and the key to this is i don't listen to recordings of myself playing as much as i should at all (laughs) but Uh (laughs) uh, um with improvisation if i hate it it's over once it's over with writing like there's a lot more time for it to like sit there and like like, brood and me to, like, be much more critical over what I'm doing, and, like, it's much right. easier to hate it when I have to continuously look back, you know what I mean?
0: True, true.
1: So, like, it's much easier to get very uh, uh, caught up in, like, oh, this is not, like, the idea, or this is, like, just a bad idea, or whatever, and, like, um, where improvisation yeah. it's just, like, such a stream of consciousness, but by the time you hated the other thing, you have to think about the next thing.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true, but I don't know. You have to keep writing, Alan. Don't yeah. stop writing. It helps inform your improvisation. It helps develop your musical.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I agree but, with that. We've we've talked about that before. Like, I, I'm sure the, we have the people that are the best. Um. Oh, okay. That's a careful thing to say. Some of the people that write the most. <laughs> <laughs> than some of my favorite composers. You can certainly hear a more. Um, uh, clear or or organized or like efficient um, showing of ideas in their playing. Right. You know, I think that's pretty evident. Like someone like um, Bob Brookmeyer, whether we like his playing or not, or we think he like cheated out for playing valve trombone or whatever. Like, <laughs> who said that? <laughs> man, there are people I know that like when they'll be talking about like the lineage of trombone players, like they don't group him with trombone players.
0: That's interesting,
1: yeah, and I was like, Well, that's an opinion. It sounds like you're jealous,, <laughs> uh, I don't know. maybe that's it, but like his you know he obviously wrote a lot, and his like even in his playing, like you can hear he has a very clear way of like developing ideas and right and repeating ideas, and like it's like his form of sequencing or whatever is very different than the average person's form of sequencing,
0: um right, it's more nuanced yeah and it's more more developed yeah
1: Yeah, right versus people just taking like one three two four and then taking that through various keys like he sequences it in a way that like makes it sound organic versus like demonstrating of a technique you know
0: i do i do know i do
1: um which i'm sure you know he practices obviously or did but it probably has something to do with his writing as well
0: yeah, he did at one point practice a lot, I'm sure. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, speaking of all that, I want to... That's all going to kind of, I think, inform the main thing that I wanted to touch on today. And I've talked about this with a bunch of people, actually, in different parts of the country. And I wanted to bring it up here. Is the... Um, that... Wife for, what, I don't know. Was it Jazz Times or Jazzes? Yep. Jazz Times. Or something?
1: Yep, jazz times. times.
0: Jazz Times. A little... It wasn't even that long of an article, but just like a little bit of a blurb, let's say from uh Branford Marcellus talking about uh i guess I guess he was talking about what Kamazi Washington and what is jazz or what isn't jazz or that they can't play jazz maybe do you remember exactly what it said
1: yeah, um so <laughs> it was this article about uh his opinions on music and like the you know the clickbait title is like um, the key to maintaining his long running quartet his hometown his father and why he doesn't consider Kamashi Washington a jazz player um, ah that's the one <laughs> yep yep that would be the one you are referring to Um and let me see I'm trying to make sure I find this so uh, they he asked uh, the whoever was interviewing asked Branford uh, about his uh, records in the 90s with Buckshot LaFunk um, that mix like jazz pop and DJ culture and how it got like mixed reception so they asked about Robert Glasper and Kamasi Washington and who's um, now kind of they, they equated it to like how they're doing the same with jazz and hip hop um, yeah. and so he basically said that Robert Glasper has a limited jazz vocabulary and 1st off, also claimed that like Robert Glasper would agree um, and said that it was in his best interest to do that. So that's like a like, kind of like a mob <laughs> statement, which is interesting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> wow. um,
1: and then he said that Kamashi Washington's not a jazz player, that he's a sax player. Um, which is interesting, you know, it's uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts first, because I feel like you always take a very non-confrontational aspect, whereas I shove my foot in my mouth.
0: I take a non-confrontational approach. Yeah. What's the question?
1: So, what do you what are your what are your thoughts on those statements that he made?
0: I mean, I think Branford has a just like everyone in that family has a specific definition of what it means to play jazz. And to me, I wouldn't say that Kamazi Washington is playing like straight-ahead jazz. I guess I don't know if I would call it jazz, uh, but, um, I don't know. I don't know that that disqualifies him from being a jazz musician in my mind, because to me, it's more about, if you're a jazz musician, you're someone that, you know, improvises and has a connection to the history of the music, you know, like Kamazi played with Gerald Wilson and Gerald Wilson played with, um, all the early, early big bands, Fletcher Henderson and, people like that in New York and like, so to me, there's, there is a connection there and he grew up at, I think he grew up in Crenshaw. Is that, I the, I forget which neighborhood in LA, but there was like a famous jazz club there and he used to go there and hear people all the time. So I, I think he's coming out of that, but it's, I guess it's the same thing as you could say, like snarky puppy, all those guys went to jazz school, but are they playing jazz? Uh, it's improvised, somewhat improvised music, but I don't know if it's jazz. I, don't I know. mean, I guess that's my opinion.
1: I would agree. I just think he um yeah, this is interesting for me because I've heard uh I know some people that have played with Robert Glasper. Um in a setting that like wasn't his trio or something. They mm-hmm. were just like the musicians called for the gig. Um and they're both older musicians, but I know that they say like they they weren't very fond of it in the sense of, like, they just they just said it wasn't – like, they played standards or whatnot, but it wasn't, like, standards in the way that they would like to do it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: with Glasper. So we're not talking about Glasper. Kamasi Washington. Correct.
1: Okay. Correct. With Glasper. Okay. Um, but it's interesting that, like, you know, that he brings up the point of, like, Kamasi's not a jazz musician, but he's a sax player. Because – I think there's many instances now of like people that make a living playing that, you know, sax or trumpet or whatever, but they don't, they're not a jazz musician, but it's weird because like, everyone feels like someone needs to be labeled. And I mean, of course to most oh, yeah. of kids, like our kids got adults, <laughs> musicians, um, like the first way you get exposed into like the music that, like your instrument in a way that probably kept you more entertained would be through jazz, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's like an interesting um balance between the two. Like he gives this argument of like uh Lester Young and a Dexter Gordon record or a Wayne Shorter record, and like being able to hear the lineage in their playing. And he, but then he, which like, yeah, that's obviously important. And like, who hasn't told you that like you need to have some form of like language in you're playing or like lineage and all. Um, right. And if you don't have it, though, what makes it jazz? So it's just like back to this argument of like, what is jazz?
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess. Sorry, I told you my dog was going to do something crazy during this episode. It's like pawing at the... Oh, I see. He has a, a lost kibble. This is very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> There you hey, sorry about that. So, it's, what is Jazz? <laughs> it's derailing the conversation.
1: Um, um, I mean, it's interesting because, like, have you read the full article or just that bit?
0: I think I only read that bit because people were talking about it.
1: Sure. Um, but, like, because, like, the thing that I hate about them, like, them being that family, is like they'll say something that I really strongly agree with and then they say something else and i'm like ah come come on man
0: (laughs) so yeah um
1: because like he talks about um he he kind of opened up with like this bit among several questions and i'm like extremely paraphrasing here about how like people need to realize that like we're entertainers Mm-hmm. like first and foremost like we are we are entertainers um and they need to realize that like we're not going to make enough money to on selling records or on a tour to not tour so we tour and then right um when nobody's going to be buying records which is soon if not now we're going to keep touring and they he just says that like people need to understand that like we're all entertainers that's that's what we are and when people really start to understand that, like, it might change their outlook. And he goes into, like, uh, the dude, of course, then asks a question about, like, dance music in New Orleans, you know. And He says that once, um, you know, that, like, that was kind of lost in the sense, like, not that it had to be dance music, but, like, there became, like, this, uh, an enamored feeling in um whether a song was good or bad. And they fell in love with, like, the structure of a song versus, like, the overall... I don't know, a feeling or, or or intent behind it, I guess you could say. Um, which, like, right. I agree with all that stuff, you know? Like, so many people getting caught up in, um, like, like, the structure of the song or, like, the, you know, let me write a song that is, like, three versus five versus seven for the sake of doing that, you know? Or something that's, like, not really um, relatable in that sense or, like, approachable to many. And um, so he talks about how like mm-hmm. they always do like a song from the 30s or something. Like something with like a very clear melody that someone right. can relate to. Which like I like I get it. Like I back all this stuff. You know, like I always want to have something that like at least something that the audience can relate to. Just like how you have that tune of uh, Maria, you know, or like your arrangement sure. of it. Um
0: Yeah, I mean we're on the same page. But the, yeah. so the thing is, like, isn't Kamazi doing the same thing though? Or a glasper, but just in a stylistic way and not in a repertoire way.
1: Kamasi um, reminds me of like a Pat Metheny type vibe.
0: Okay. In Elaborate.
1: The of, uh, <laughs> I love that you're like, all right. I'm doubting this already, but go on.
0: <laughs> I'm not doubting it. I'm 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 theoretically agreeing. I just want to hear your line um, of thought
1: that he's he's more about like the production of the show as a whole mm-hmm. than of like the individual group. Like it's like it's a different thing because like if you've seen him like he puts on like very big productions usually when he goes to, like in his concerts and whatnot
0: right um yeah.
1: versus you know someone like going to go just see like a like a trio or something and not like talking bad about one or the other but it's it's just different right right but what i will say is it's um it's it's it is interesting though, because like, you know, he does things like where he has his version of like Claire Delune and all that. Um but like there's a uh Facebook group I'm a f- member of uh called Jazz Trumpets Formed by Jack Walrath. Okay. And he shared something the other day about a uh Kamashi Washington performing the rhythm changes <laughs> at Pitchforge oh, Music Festival.
0: Oh rhythm changer.
1: Yeah, yeah, the rhythm changes. You know, rhythm changes. Um, and he was like, uh, you know, God, that had ninety six comments. I have not read any of these, <laughs> but he posted, and he's like, "This is what you know." A lot of people are currently saying saxophone uh, genius. Um, I think he, you know, commenting on like his tone and whatnot, and like, yeah, I I get that a little bit. Like, he comes from the um. Maybe more of like the jam band type vibe. Um mm-hmm. you know, like that like when I hear his playing, I think of like maybe that band that all of us were played with at some point in college that was like all the jazz musicians trying not to play jazz at the bars. <laughs> sure. Um but yeah. But I don't know, it is interesting listening to it because he just plays like um basically he he goes through, you know, like one, six, two, five <laughs> and just like plays this riff like pattern through all the keys or whatnot. And then they just start to like jam over it. And there's like yeah. some vocals and all, but like, it's just, it's just rhythm changes to us, you know?
0: Right. And it's swinging or it's not swinging?
1: Nah, nah, it doesn't swing. Um, it's Which, which, rude. hold on. I did, I did not mean that in a distaste. I did not mean that it does not swing. It's, it's just, just like backbeat. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Right. No, I understand. Um, Somebody I know, else might like, misinterpret. Alan is a yeah. Kamazi hater. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's 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 conflicting though, man. Because like, part of me looks at it and I'm like, man, what? Like, why? You know, like, why are you doing that with that? But then I'm also like, okay, wait, that's a little entitled. Like, you can do whatever the hell he wants. Sure. And there's another part of me that's like, oh wait, he's like exposing the general public to rhythm changes, you know.
0: Right. There's that too.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's, it, it is weird. Um, It is a weird thing.
0: It's a hard, it's a hard thing to wrap your head around, especially as like having, you know, you've, you went to school for six years to study a thing and then you go out into the world, you realize that nobody cares about that thing. And then you see someone do something that's sort of adjacent to the thing that you want to do, but you feel like it's not the purest form of that thing and then they have success doing that and then you feel conflicted about it at least that's how I see it it's like well they're sort of doing what i what we all want to be doing but it's like oh but if only like i could do that we could do that and have it not have to be you know influenced by whatever popular music why can't it just be whatever we want it to be but then there's a whole scene of guys that do that and they just uh, you know exist and do their thing and don't have successes to have a billboard, you know, in the middle of the desert like Kamazi does.
1: Well, I mean it's I'm fortunate because and I think I'll attribute this some to you and then some to like my I don't know sarcastic attitude is like I definitely knew no one was gonna like this while I was in school. <laughs> um
0: yeah I, I will say that I was not I didn't appreciate that fact until much later.
1: Well Appreciate it's not the right word for me, at least. Like, I just think, um, it's, it's something that I've accepted. Um, but I still, you know, and I, I accept that like jazz is never going to be the, the, the main thing again. Like it's not, um, right. But, but I still firmly believe that like, um, like your average person should under should, should understand it and at least have a, you know, like a, like a general um, acceptance of it, like, and, and celebrate it in some sense of like, that is the, your, your culture, you know, not celebrate Uh, as in like, I'm expecting you to go to a show once a week, you know, but like celebrate has been like, yeah, this is where our music came from. You know, this is where, like, this is our history. Like I'm proud of it, you know? (laughs)
0: As an American export,
1: yeah, Yeah. of art, yeah, and I think that's you know we seem to have like a lot of uh, nationalistic views about some things, and then like none about you know like like we back football a lot, but we don't back you know art or whatever. So
0: it's true. But isn't it funny that we have to have debates about this? Like, what is jazz and what is not jazz? Oh, and that's, yeah, like that's, that it's like, that's like the most controversial thing you can say. Like Brantford saying, oh, he's not a jazz musician.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, it's kind of tr- silly, though. Yeah. But that just goes back to Fights Within. So here's an interesting question for you, though. Um, and you can feel free to plead the fifth on it.
0: <laughs> I'll try not to.
1: Um. What is your take on? You talked about your frustrations with like something that's like adjacent to it doing what you wanted to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do you feel about uh PMJ?
0: In what sense? Like, is it jazz or is it not jazz?
1: Does it Does it frustrate you? Like the the widespread it frustrate me. Like no, the it doesn't department? frustrate me. I,
0: no, I don't think that's it. I think that 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 is a thing that like. To me, postmodern jukebox plays in, you know, the style of jazz from a certain time period, but it's more about a show and it's more about a an aesthetic and a nostalgia and playing on that aspect and creating like a it's almost like a Broadway review type show when you go to see the band. So, like to me, it's like it's not even a discussion of that. It's like to me, there's like a difference between playing in a jazz style or in a swing style and playing jazz like as an art, you know, like there's jazz style and swing. And then there's also like jazz as an attitude and jazz as a, uh, a how as Joe Lovano would say, you know, it's like, it's like a process more than it is about exactly what it is. So, I mean, does PMJ frustrate me? I mean, no, not really. I mean, I'm happy my friends get to play and, you know, they have lots of gigs and I've benefited from it as well. And, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, it would be great if that same amount of audience would come to s- any one of those persons show of original music. But it's, you know, it's just uh, a product. Uh, for me, I think it's a, it's a product of the times and the people just can't, they don't connect with instrumental music in a way, you know. And people haven't since the recording ban in the, in the late 1940s. When
1: and I think man, what they started
0: adding was- people like Frank Sinatra.
1: So um- what I don't think helps is I feel like we've uh, – there's, there's a couple of things that I feel like don't help us, okay? And, of course, again, I'm, like, 24, so I'm speaking on things that are, like, way before <laughs> me. Um, To my understanding, there used to be, like, a lot more things paired with it in the sense of, like, like comedians used to, like, open up our mm-hmm. eyes. Or, like, comedians would uh, right. do jokes during the the intermission, and I don't see why, like, that ever stopped happening you know um
0: uh, yeah I agree with you
1: because in my mind when someone comes to see like I don't want someone I do want someone to come see me for my music let me take that back but like <laughs> like I want it to be an, an overall like experience like I have no issue you know and and I did it for some gig in in Tallahassee of all places and it like received good um things you know find a comedian or whatever and just be like yo here's here's some money you know agree to pay them what they asked to be paid or whatnot and then just be like, "Yo, start half hour between, and like do half hour in the middle, or whatever." And like, mm-hmm. it's not me trying to like sell out as like they're actually coming to see the comedian, and I'm just there. It's just me
0: trying to create an overall better experience. Um. Uh, yeah. No, I know. Because, like, oh, even going along with that, going yeah, along with that. Hang on. So, I I agree. Having different, like, something like that, but. I think from an audience perspective, we somehow got on this idea that you're supposed to play like two sets on a show right. or three sets. Like, and that I think that comes from the culture of like playing restaurant gigs and like playing gigs where you the music isn't the focus. Right. And then all of a sudden we go and play a feature gig and then you're like, people are like, oh, let's play two sets. But like the audience, from my, at least from my experience, it, I don't really think the audience wants to stay there for two sets. I don't think they want an intermission. I think people would rather watch for 70 minutes or 75 minutes and then be able to go home or see something else. Like you're talking about like 70, 60 minutes comedian comes on and then there's another band for like 40 minutes or 45 minutes. Like nobody's attention span is long enough to like two one hour sets. Like I just don't think that that's practical anymore.
1: But see two of the album, like two albums that very specifically stick out. Um, as or musicians in general uh that stick out that like i think handled that in a very good way is um first off like that sinatra live at the sands um okay because and i'm you know i don't know how often you've listened to that record
0: fifty years, years ago
1: yeah but he does he has uh, a tea time on the record or whatnot we're like and, like, he's obviously, like, he's a showman. He's a crooner. Like, that's that's Sinatra's gig. But, like, he he had that bro- break, like, worked into the set. You know, right. where he wor- yep. worked the audience. Or um, a great saxophone player, Eddie Harris, uh, with the reason why I'm talking shit, where he would, like, straight up do stand-up to some extent, like, in between. So, like, he could do the longer set. And, like, you know, people are going to say, like, well, we can't do the longer set because of, like, our faces or whatnot. Well, sure, okay, like, but you can still do a, a longer um, a show, you know, whatever, but, like, you just don't have to, um, There, ne- like, something constant. It doesn't have to be, like, oh, we're going to break. Now you guys just sit here and, like, mingle amongst yourselves and, like, we'll mingle over here and then we'll play right. another set of music.
0: Right, it needs to be a show where it's, like, completely thought out from start to finish. I mean, like a Broadway show, I guess, has an intermission, but that's like so much more production value than it. just our regular little show. Like, kind of, you go to a rock show and it's just like band, 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 you know? There's like maybe a couple minutes of changeover. But well, like,
1: with a Broadway you show, know what I, mean? I, mean, I want to use the restroom an hour and a half into a three hour show. That's why that intermission. Yeah. Bad.
0: Well, yeah, that's true too. But
1: um, no, I, I don't completely agree. But I'm just saying, I completely agree.
0: When I, when I go and like, play concerts like when we were just on the road with enough. like when you're going to turn the room over and you play a you know a 75 minute set it makes sense two sets two different shows two different audiences but when it's like you know the same thing you're gonna play 50 minutes and you're gonna take half an hour break and play 50 minutes and there's nobody else it's like you might as well play for 90 minutes and then just stop playing because people would rather i think people will pay attention more and not leave during the intermission and all this kind of stuff maybe this is just my opinion maybe i'm wrong I could be wrong, but like when we would play like 75, 80 minute shows, it'd be great. But then when we would take, play a theater and like take a break in the middle, you could see half the audience leaves after intermission. Cause just cause they like, don't have the attention span to sit through another 40 minutes.
1: Well, yeah. And I think people need to also realize that just because we might be saying like play one set instead of two, if you have two sets of 45 minutes, <laughs> we're not saying go going. Oh, it's the same out. amount of music. Yeah.
0: Right. Uh, I don't know. I just think. You know, we could think about our presentation more and that it's locked into like an old, an old way of doing things that had, you know, that didn't doesn't have a lot of re- reference to reality now.
1: Oh, right, Because, I mean, if you're flipping a place like the people that want to stay and check out the rest of it, like will stay and check out the next set. Right. Um,
0: but for the average person, like it's enough.
1: Right. Well, here's a couple things that are uh, that I think are, are difficult there. Um, one, uh, first off, something that I think that hates, that hurts us a lot is the fact that like the overall quality, I think is way too low of the average musician Uh, out there that's doing jazz or or says, um, and I think that hurts Mm -hmm. us because I don't think there's the average person never has the ability to like, see someone that's like really great Mm-hmm. Or, or that. So, like, they never get the chance to be exposed to something that, like, really captivates them, like that. Right. Um, the other thing that I think that hurts us is, like, as a, as a general public, we're in this mind of like, we want to get everything that our dollar is worth nowadays. Um, okay. And so, very few people, unless you're like in a New York or Chicago or something like that with venues you know, like the showcase, the standard, the blue note or whatever, where like they're used to multiple sets and like the house flips because they have people to fit it, then people are going, when you advertise a two set gig, people are going to get frustrated that they're only, that their money's only going to be worth one set or something.
0: Hmm. You think so? I don't know about
1: that. I mean, it's something, um, I've experienced in Tallahassee, but again, Tallahassee's small as, as hell. Um,
0: but I mean, if you played two, I think if you played two, so if you, you just compare these two things. Okay. So you've got like a Thursday night where you're going to do two sets of one hour and a break and they feel like, Oh, my money only gives me one set. But it's like, you could do that or you could split it over two nights. You know what I mean? And like have one set, both nights. And that way, people wouldn't seem like they're not only getting half the half the money, but you still get to play two sets of music. But it's over two nights. Oh, I mean, I think
1: that's significantly better. I think that's I. I think doing that, like playing like one show a Thursday, one show on a Friday, is like a better thing in the long run because even then, you as a band can like do. It's like you can do something completely different each night. Um, Yeah,
0: and like if you just. If you just, even if like the venue thinks like, oh, it's not a good idea, you could get with another band that you each book the nights and then split the sets, you know, and then you could. I just think that getting multiple people is really, multiple bands and multiple acts over multiple nights is a better idea. Because like, you know, like when you get an invitation to something, you're like, oh, I'm already busy that night. And then that band isn't going to play for six months. Like, but if it's like the whole week, like it used to be, You know, you could like find whatever night that week you were free and go to the club to see, to see who was playing.
1: But like we run into the issues then of like, um, like if you're doing that with your band on the road or whatever, like, you know, are you going to make enough money to warrant spending the night, uh, like an extra night there in Atlanta or
0: whatever, you know? I mean, I don't know. Maybe not me by myself, but maybe me plus another two bands, you know? On a, on a single bill, can draw enough people.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would, I would agree for two nights. The other issue. I mean,
0: me right now, but well, the other. If you get Pat Pat you can you can you do it. You just got to also pick a room that's appropriately sized so that you're not. So if it's like you you instead of booking a 500 seat theater, you book a 200 seat room and then do three nights instead of, you know, you still sell 500 tickets, but it's over three nights instead of, instead of one.
1: I mean, I, I, I completely agree. I think that's a great idea. Um, I think so many
0: people are going to come back with ideas that are... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I keep interrupting you.
1: No, no, you're good. I think the other issue, though, is like how many times... And I don't, again, I, mean, I don't know what you guys do because I really haven't been there. But do you do a set that's like an hour and then someone plays like four tunes?
0: Well, it depends on who it is. Some bands do that.
1: Yeah, but I I think that's an issue uh, for the most part, because like going back to my experience at Ravinia, like uh, Billy Childs' group playing a tune, you know, four tunes in an hour concert or whatever or five tunes or whatever it was is very different because they're very like through composed and like heavily arranged. Like those were works, you know, they weren't just tunes, but I don't need to go see a quintet at the Velvet Note play Confirmation for 16 minutes, you know?
0: That's true, but I but I think that goes back to what you said before, which is like people aren't like putting enough high quality stuff out there. They just want to go and play confirmation and expect people to pay them twenty five dollars to see that. But it's you know we have to come up with a concept. You know we have to come up with like a, a presentation of whatever the music is, whether it's your music or it's the music of whomever, like. Got to be a more thoughtfully presented thing than just like come see me play confirmation because nobody wants to see that,
1: right? But I think, I think, um, you know, even with good musicians, like you, you know, people that because, like, originally I meant that with like you know, the cats that are coming out that like really aren't playing, but like they try to make a living doing it. And like, I'm not saying I can play right now either, but you know, like the people that like really were struggling and like they aren't even necessarily trying to. To, to grow in some sense, they just come out doing it. Um, but you still get people that are like that are good at their instrument and can like play the hell out of the horn or whatever. That sit up there and feel like they got to take you know 15 courses on the same tune. Where I think with an audience, it'd be much better to have you know more variety and play more tunes than than, than
0: Totally agree. You know, agreed. I think people are mixing up like what they want to do the situation and the audience, like they're conflating all of those three things and not separating them. Like if you're playing a background music gig and it just, then you can play as much as you want because people aren't really listening. Even if people are listening, they're not like at a, when you're just playing background music, you know, Right. you can play confirmation. If you're playing at smalls and you're like just playing tunes, cause that's the concept of your band. Like that's okay because it's smalls and people know what to expect and like it's a jazz venue that, you know, does that and like the jam sessions and et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, you have to know the context of that. But if you go to the jazz standard or the blue note and you just play confirmation for 16 minutes and you're not like on like a Coltrane level, like (laughs) it's not going to happen. Like it just isn't going to work. And so it's like, you have to have context. And I think people just don't think about it. Like you're saying, like they can kind of play or they kind of can't play and they just go out and try to make a living and then, like, they're they're advertising their gig at some little restaurant as, like, the same as playing at Smalls or playing at the Blue Note, which, obviously, those things are not the same.
1: Right. I mean, I agree. Like, why can you not just, you know, play a tune? And then afterwards, like, maybe you play a ballad. And all you do on the ballad, though, is just play, play it down once. Or maybe you just play it down even twice at a stretch. You know, like, play the melody. Piano takes the AA and then play the bridge up. Like, it doesn't have to be everything long or Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with just playing down the, the melody. T- like how many times have we heard that on records where someone just says like, oh, okay, I'm going to go play uh, body and soul. And yeah, like they might, like, it's not like very strict, like do, you know, whatever, but they just play one chorus on it. Like you don't need to take, you know, just, just play the melody down and then end the tune. And that's enough to like, it's short. Like its variety, it still allows you room to do whatever you want with it. Um, but I, I think I think an an audience member would uh, uh, appreciate that much more than you know. Every every like out of a quintet, all five of you soloing on a blues for for twelve courses each, and you know, know. Uh,
0: that's yeah. Just- no, I agree with you. I mean, I just, I, yeah, I try to think about that, but sometimes like you just want everybody to play, <laughs> you know, just the moment in the set where you want everybody to play. I mean, yeah. Like, battle, I don't but, think there's anything wrong you know. with,
1: I mean, have that moment, you know, but like, let it be a moment.
0: Right. right. And not every song.
1: Yeah. I mean, you not know, every song. right. It's just, it's a, it's a moment. <laughs> That's the thing. And there's certain, like obviously certain tunes that that works well with and other tunes that it doesn't, you know, right. Like, totally change things up as simple as like, maybe you don't start with the melody. Like maybe you just start blowing on a tune and then the melody happens at the very end or something, you know, like there's certain ways to, I think, add variety that just a lot of people don't, don't uh, consider, um, which can help be a little bit more engaging, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I think they just don't consider the presentation at all. Really is the problem. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: Do you think, um, you know, I know we'll probably wrap up here soon, but I guess let me leave you with this. How do you think uh, um, attire should be affected? Because, like, I think we're seeing that change a lot right now Um, where, like, guys aren't feeling like they need to wear a suit or something, you know, or guys just showing up and guys, I mean, anybody, you know, just showing up in in jeans and a shirt or or whatever. Like, how do you think that's changed versus should it be changed? You know, what do you mean? Like, what do you think on that?
0: I think that you should do whatever you want, really, but I think that like it's kind of appropriate to like the venue and the type of music that gets put on there. I think is ultimately you have to decide for yourself. I feel like as long as you look put together, it could be a range of, you know, you can be casual, but still look like put together. You know? yeah. I think, uh, I think it's up to the band leader and I think it's up to the band leader to, to, to tell people what they want, you know. And they want it. Do you want them to to look this way or that way? And like, you know, you're playing a Dizzy's there's a certain thing that you're going to wear a suit, you know, but if you're playing at jazz standard, maybe there isn't always a necessity to wear a suit, but maybe you're going to, you know, look nice in some other way, or maybe, you know, even the guys that wear t-shirts, like at least they're wearing like a clean t-shirt and it's like, usually has something on it that they like connect with where that shirt is connecting to their, personality or to their music you know like it has it's like an intentional shirt that they picked out even though it is a t-shirt
1: right like you can still look clean wearing a wearing a t-shirt t-shirt or whatever right it has to look clean
0: i I think it's whatever it has to be thoughtfully presented and that's everything from what you wear to how you introduce the tunes or if you don't introduce the tunes at all and like all of those things are a thoughtful presentation like I, to me it doesn't matter what you decide but it's as long as you made a decision and you don't just like you're not just like winging it because when you just wing it that hurts all of us because the audience doesn't connect with anything that you do because they have no context and then and then it just that it, it, it affects their future consumption of jazz or jazz adjacent things you know so
1: how do you think we um because like i've always been a big proponent of like telling people like hey you need to like shed your your stage presence like you need to shed what you're going to do up there you need to like be you know work on talking to people you know you have to be approachable Mm -hmm. not seem awkward up there you know you know think about these things how do you do that do you like put together a formal class in in uh college or something where you're like like let's talk about this or like where where do you think um, uh, you're a musician and, you know, the majority of musicians are certainly going to school nowadays. So where, where yep. do they, where do they get taught this? Where do they, where does someone sit them down and say like, Hey, uh, Jimmy, stop saying like every other word on stage, you know, <laughs> or like shit. And I just did it now, you know, but wh- when is that, when is that brought up? How is that, how is that instructed? Because it's not,
0: um, well, we don't see I mean, I don't now. know if, I think you you do it by observation, and you you learn from watching people at school, watching the faculty introduce tunes, But maybe they aren't doing a good job either. It's not that every single person is good at this, you know. But I'm not even saying that I'm good at it. But it is something that I'm thinking about trying to get better at. You know. Well, I don't know if it's like uh,
1: observation is enough nowadays because I feel like it's so disconnected. Like it has to be, like it almost has to be. We have to um, uh, explicitly say to somebody. And then maybe you know years down the road, we can get back to observation, you know,
0: maybe I mean I yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know, you probably remember like i for at school, I would always make people I always make the band introduce themselves and introduce, and always you know there's got to be the title, the composer, and some kind of fact about the tune, something for people to to learn about the song that's not in the program. I will you know?
1: say. <laughs> One time that that backfired on somebody, uh, and it was after you left. Um, <laughs> uh, I, mean, I, like, I, like, at my gigs, I'll introduce the band, you know, and whatnot. But if it's, mm-hmm. if, like, someone brought in an original, or even if someone brought in, um, which is interesting, because I've kind of been heckled by, like, some other musicians in the crowd, like, that'll say, like, man, it's your gig. um, And I'm, like, I'm aware it's my gig, so I'm doing what the hell I want to do um right but like you know if someone brought in a tune or original i'll be like "Man, do you have something to say about this tune you know like you you like yeah. you wrote it like why not say something here it's not me bowing out or whatever it's me acknowledging it's your composition you know um
0: sure i mean i can see they're coming from it's like your gig they want you to talk about it or whatever but i mean sure
1: but uh i don't give a damn shit um <laughs> we had this
0: kid, well i don't know man Uh. I think that it's important to think about. And I think that you learn about it from observing people who are good at it. And I mean like watching videos. I watch videos of Duke talking to people. He was amazing at talking to the audience. It's a little bit like dated probably because he had kind of like a persona that he he would talk in a certain way to the audience. Very much. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's okay. You can kind of take cues from that. He was really great. JJ was really great at talking to the audience. There's some live concerts that I listen to all the time. You know, you steal jokes from people, you you know, little turns of phrase, like maybe it seems cheesy to you and it seems cheesy to the band and it seems cheesy to people that know, but you know, like it can be effective, but it's also equally effective. Like when we play with an knot, we'll play an hour straight without stopping. And, you know, that's what she wants to do. And that's, that's the intentionality of like, I'm trying to create this musical experience that is uninterrupted by me talking. Do you have an alter and ego? That's a choice. Do I have an alter ego? I mean, I don't think talk in general. I mean, on stage, I think I maybe have more. I try to talk with more authority than I would in a casual setting. Sure. Okay. I think it's different than how I talk in an educational setting, too. I mean, yeah. But I mean, you have to you have to have a you have to have a you know a plan. You know, I always like since let's see 2015 when my record came out that year that record i started writing a story about each tune like just as much as i could write and then i would try to like pare it down and then i would tell it to an audience and then if it didn't work the next night i would try to tell it differently or maybe i needed to totally rewrite the story because nobody nobody connected with it but now i pretty much know what stories to tell with what tunes and why it's why they might want to know that you know extra little fact and people tell me that they like the stories so it's like okay well i guess i better keep on doing this maybe the musicians don't like it but
1: i don't know they're not the target audience all the time gives gives you a second to, to take a sip of your drink or something like i don't i don't see why the musicians have an issue with it
0: yeah I just mean like musicians in the audience the guys in the band I don't care what they think I'm paying them so <laughs> I do care what they think I'm joking but but you know so it's just a balance I think of all those things but to sum it all up I think it's just that we have to think about regardless of the decision you make you have to think about and make a choice about how you're going to present it whether it's talking about how you're going to talk or how you're going to dress or what tunes you're going to play and just making sure that it's contextual to the situation yeah that's all yeah i mean because and like you saying, like present something that's well rehearsed that's or hire musicians that are good enough to do it without rehearsing you know yeah yeah you gotta it's gotta be on a high level or else people are just gonna get bored and you're gonna you're ruining it for the rest of us
1: presentation man and which is you know uh, going back full circle <laughs> it's something another one of those things that brantford said in his article that i agreed with where people asked him uh you know, you've been playing with this band for so long. Don't you feel like it's time to change things up? He's like, man, why do I need to change things up? We're
0: well rehearsed
1: and the Rolling Stones didn't change up. So,
0: Yeah. I mean, I think about that too. I'm like, you know, I've done five records with my group and I'm like, "Uh, it's a time to change. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I need to change. Like why change? If it's like, you still feel like you have something to get to.
1: Right. Right. And I don't, you know, but of course there's, there's moments where it's like, I want to play with, uh, with certain people. And it's not that I feel like I need to change something cause it's not working. It's just, this is who I want to play with right now.
0: Right. So you might go away from it and then come back later. Right. Right. But yeah. So anyway, Kamazi, who knows if it's jazz or not, I guess it doesn't really matter. He's making a lot of money and he's doing his thing and, uh, he works hard. It seems like he works really hard, and uh, he's, he's just paying off now for him. Yeah. Just like Starky Puppy, just like, you know, lots of the bad you – know, I don't even know who else, but a lot of people. Right. You know, he's having his moments, and, you know, is it going to be as standing the test of time as Coltrane? Who knows? But uh, I do think it's a little abrasive of Branford to say those things about about him. It's not very nice, but
1: what are you going to do? Man, you know, part of it might just be his presentation. <laughs> like
0: honestly, he likes to cause cause a stir. He has a pattern of it. He could
1: be just be someone that likes to pot stir, someone that likes to invoke those kind of. Uh, <laughs> you know, I know people like that that like to invoke those those extreme opinions just because they like people to have an opinion on it. That that could just be the vibe, right? They just, just
0: want it. to. Exactly. I mean, it's you know, he does the same thing or similar thing.
1: Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah
0: especially in the 80s
1: <laughs> yeah i mean man i still remember that video clip and i mean i'll paraphrase here but where branford said something like uh students ain't doing shit or students are lazy you know what i'm talking about
0: oh yeah there's that too yeah. yes. oh. that's a video yeah, yeah that's, that's a video. video
1: so you can't even claim you were yeah mistaken. i remember that
0: <laughs> yeah well what are you gonna do Anyway, well, I think that'll do it for this week's episode of the Hang. We'll be back uh, in a few weeks with another episode. But if you haven't checked out yet, our recent playlist, "This Is Jazz Today," we just put out the most recent one uh, for that was for May releases in this month of June, 2019. Just search on Spotify for "This Is Jazz Today," and uh, lots of new music out this year. We've had a release just about every week, and Alan has been a champ at uh, helping to facilitate all of that uh, with our uh, distribution and such. But um, so check out that new music. Just kind of pay attention to our website, outsideinmusic.com. You can see all the new releases there on the homepage. And uh, we'll see you uh, back here real soon. This is there on the homepage. And uh, we'll see you uh, back here.